Our reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. So right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word and come to consider, continue to consider what it means to be human, as we particularly uh, look to your word now, uh, looking at work and rest, some of us are coming this morning feeling so weary. Others of us perhaps are just feeling a, a real restlessness. Uh, we come into your presence and ask you, Lord, would you speak to us and would you, uh, with your powerful words, change us and lead us uh, to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, please do uh, keep it open, or got the app, keep it open to Genesis chapters 1 to 3, and there are Bibles around the church. I would encourage you to, to um, get one because we're going to be kind of making our way through and bouncing around these first three chapters of Genesis, it'd be good to have that uh, in front of you. Now, this morning we are continuing a sermon series, considering the image of God, what it means to be human. And we're looking at these first chapters of Genesis right at the start of the Bible, considering um, God creating this world. And of course, in chapter three, the fall, entrance of sin, the kind of brokenness that we experience uh, today. 
Last week, Jonathan spoke on God creating male and female. Next week, we're going to consider sin and grace. But this week, we're looking at work and rest. And work and rest are words that we use all the time in our culture. But so often, I believe, what we associate with them is very far from how the Bible presents them. Often when we talk about work, I know this is for me, I don't know about you, uh, immediately we think of our employment. You know, you say, we say in conversation, what do you do for work? Or you say, oh, sorry, I'm working this weekend. You know, this isn't wrong, that's, that's not incorrect, but it's not the whole picture that God gives us for work. And the same is true of rest. When I think of rest, often my mind goes first to kind of leisure, you know, and we say, oh, change is as good as a rest, you know. Uh, and often we fill our rest time with lots of activity. We go on holiday, go on a city break, and if you're anything like me, I've planned out an itinerary. We're going to visit all these different things. <laughs> lots of activity during our rest. And I want to suggest that work and rest are among the most misunderstood aspects of what it means to be human in Western society, and that includes within the church. And part of the issue is that we all have different contexts for, for rest and work. You know, whether we're children, students, young adults, couples, singles, parents, older adults, retired, unemployed, self-employed. And this sermon is for you, whatever uh, circumstances you're in, whether you are part of that list or not, all of us work and rest, and all of us uh, made in the image of God, and uh, the, the word has so much to speak to us on these things. And that's going to be really upfront. I find this really challenging. I found it really challenging preparing this talk. Um, I'm in no way <laughs> have this sorted, and I'm preaching to myself uh, just as much, if not more, than anyone else here. And the big point is that God calls us as Christians into a life-giving rhythm of work and rest as we live in anticipation of the new creation. So I want to look at this idea of a kind of rhythm between work and rest. But before we do that, we've got to look at work and rest separately because the biblical vision for each of these is massive and really deep. So first I want to, us to consider work. And we're looking particularly at Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The first thing to say about work is that in God's sight, work is good. Now, I realize that for many of us, this might not be our experience of work, whether that's employment or just the circumstances you find yourself giving your energy and time to. But work is part of God's purpose for humanity, as we see in this verse. And when God surveys the, his creation at the end of the six days, he sees that it is very good. And this vision of work is part of that good creation and purpose of God for his world. The words stick out to us. They might seem a little bit, uh, a little bit difficult. 
So the, the three main words here that Genesis uses to talk about work are fill, subdue, and rule. Is this, about, is this how you think about the work that you're involved in? You know, if someone says, oh, what are you doing today? You say, oh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just ruling over my emails. <laughs> you know, I'm just subduing the washing up. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But this is how the Bible frames work. And when it talks about filling the earth, this is about raising the next generation. It's about having, raising, and caring for children, whether you have children or not. And parenting is work. Full-time parenting is not much valued by our culture, but it's the primary part of God's commission for human work. And so if you're a parent here today, you are called to the good work of God, of raising your children. Don't let the culture of our society cause you to think less of that or begrudge it. And if you're not raising children yourself, that includes me, you too are called to this work. In Jesus, the Christian community is a family, the family of God. We are brothers and sisters together. We have one heavenly father. And that means that all of us are part of God's commission to fill the earth, to raise the next generation. So don't let your circumstances prevent you from engaging in this important work. In a very obvious way of getting involved in this is, here at St. Paul's, we're blessed to have so many uh, young people part of our family. And there's lots of opportunities to serve in these ministries. But so obviously it's not limited to church on Sundays. This involves supporting parents, involved in community groups, in schools. So many um, opportunities to be part of God's call to fill the earth whether or not you have children yourself. So that's Phil. Secondly, subdue. And this is the one that is potentially a bit more, sounds a bit more problematic. Uh, Particularly, we've just had creation and climate Sundays, and we might read this and think, okay, what's going on here? But the point of this is it's about releasing the potential of the world. In Genesis 2, verses 10 to 12, we just skip over to there. Um, we see this slightly, at first glance, a little bit of an odd aside. It says, a river watering the garden of Eden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The point here is that God has put resources in the world which humanity can celebrate by purifying them, making them into beautiful things like the gold here or the onyx or the resin. This is not the same as systematically stripping the earth of uh, minerals for our use, but it's about kind of releasing and celebrating the potential in nature, and that applies to society as well, the potential of other people in a way that's life-giving and celebrates and worships the God who made it. And so whatever your front line is, whether your work is parenting or leading or caring or organizing, it is part of God's commission to 
humanity to fill and subdue the world, to release that potential of people and nature. Don't let your circumstances or your job dictate to you how you are to work in this biblical sense of the word. Because all of your activity is part of God's good calling to humanity. Whether or not that would be obvious when you sit down at your job on a Monday or you are looking after the kids uh, or whatever that activity might be. And it's also worth taking time to work out uh, what God is calling you to dedicate yourself to in your work. And I don't just mean your employment, but your activity as a human being. Because if this is part of God's good purpose for us, then it's, it really matters what we do. You know, what, take time to think, what makes your heart sing? Has God given you a skill or a passion in a certain area? Now, this isn't to say that we should all quit our jobs as soon as we find them a little bit unfulfilling because nothing this side of heaven is going to do that for us. But it is to say that work matters because God has commissioned you to help his world flourish. Okay, so we've looked at work is good. Next thing to say is that work is cursed. If we look to Genesis chapter 3 from verse 16... This is after the fall, after Adam and Eve have taken the fruit and sin has entered the world. And God is now speaking to Adam and Eve. He says, to the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." It's important to emphasize here that work is not the curse. The world is cursed by sin. Work is not the curse, but work is cursed. It's subject to the effects of sin. And there'll be more on the fall next week as we look at sin and grace. But essentially, sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, giving in to that temptation to try and be God rather than trusting the Lord. And both parts of God's commission for work are affected by this. Both the filling and the subduing. Really fascinatingly, it's actually the same Hebrew word that's used both as God speaks to the woman and to the man. So to Eve, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And it's the same Hebrew word that's used when he then turns to Adam and says, through painful toil, you will eat food from the earth all the days of your life. And that word kind of means pain, hardship, distress, difficulty. Now, this is not at all to kind of diminish the physical pain of childbirth, but it is to say that this, the whole scheme of work, the filling, the raising the next generation, and the, the working, the, the subduing, the releasing of potential, is subject to the same curse of sin. And the outworkings of this are all around us unfulfilling work, oppressive economic systems, 
hand-to-mouth employment just, just to survive, subsistence farming, work becoming idolatry when we pursue it for its own sake rather than through it worshipping God. And some of us might feel like the, world that we're, the work that we're involved in, whether it's employ, your employment or otherwise, kind of oppresses and traps us, like we're, you know, you're just a, a cog in this vast machine. And even if you don't feel like that, even if you love uh, the work that you're involved in, you know, we still face the fact that in our society, capitalist society, you know, all of us are required to make a living, um, some are well-off, some are poor. This system, we can't do anything about it, we find ourselves in it. And it's not a case of just finding another human system like socialism or communism. Humanity has tried these things uh, in, in the recent history and nothing uh, solves this kind of longing, this dissatisfaction in the human heart. It's not a recipe for human flourishing. So we've looked at work, it's good, but it's cursed. How about rest? Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I want to just do a brief aside on why does God rest? Often that we, we can read this and go, well, why, why is God resting? Was he tired? Did he, need, did he need a break? Well, the answer to that is no. He didn't rest out of necessity. Uh, God is not limited like we are. Uh, Augustine was a, a theologian in the fourth century, one of my favorite theologians of the early church, and uh, in his, his book, Confessions, which I t- totally recommend uh, you read, which is just a, one long prayer to God, uh, he says this in the opening pages of God. God, you are unchanging, yet changing all things, never new, never old, always active, always in repose, gathering to yourself but not in need, searching even though to you nothing is lacking. God can rest without needing to rest. And God rests to make space. He makes space to establish a rhythm for us. One rest day in seven. And if you think about it, this one in seven pattern isn't something that is self-evident to us from nature. It's not like the hours in the day or the days in a month or the seasons of the year. This is something that God tells us. He demonstrates for us. And he does that by resting on the seventh day. So what is rest? Rest is Sabbath. I want to talk about Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath is the Hebrew concept of having one day every seven. Um, Jews today uh, mark the Sabbath on a Saturday. Um, And it's a time to rest from work. All kinds of activity. And the word Sabbath in the Hebrew literally means to cease or to stop. It's rest in the actually the kind of literal sense. When I think of rest, I, I tend to think of kind of recuperation. But actually, the word rest is kind of some, something moving, coming to rest, stopping, ceasing. 
And at first glance, it doesn't look like Sabbath appears in Genesis. And actually, the first mention in our English Bibles of the Sabbath is, is way uh, in the next book of the Bible, in Exodus. But this is because we are reading in English, not Hebrew. Because Sabbath in Hebrew is a verb. And so here in, in the first verses of chapter 2 in Genesis, when it says God rested, literally it says God Sabbathed. He stopped, he ceased, he rested. And I wonder, what does rest look like for you? you know, when do you have time to just stop? And if I'm honest, for me, it's actually not often. It's not often enough. My instinct is to do something, you know, visit someone, accomplish something when I've got time, a Sabbath time. And I was thinking about this in terms of COVID lockdowns. You know, we've been through these over the last two years, and for many of us, it was the first time we properly Sabbathed in a long time, or perhaps ever. You know, we were forced to remain where we were in our homes or wherever we were staying at the time of lockdown. And some of us even quite liked it. I want to suggest, actually, that's, that's a kind of a God thing. As we emerge from restrictions, we we actually got this chance to keep that Sabbath rest that we've been enforced, was enforced upon us. We've got a chance now as we are much more free to I would just encourage us to consider how we can keep some of that rhythm in our lives. I don't know if any of you have uh, ever visited um, Israel. I was able to go, um, Holly and I were able to go with one of our friends a few years ago um, and in Israel, particularly in Jerusalem, the, the Sabbath, Shabbat, is a really, really big deal. It affects the whole of society. And so as, uh, as sundown comes on Friday, everything stops. Public transport, shops. I think we had to hire a car around the Sabbath. And it was, we really had to you know, make sure we got in at the right time before it was just closed for a whole day. Um, that the whole this society is, is kind of built around this pattern of rest. And it's actually really inspiring. And something that we too can kind of plug into in our own lives. And Sabbath is, I want to suggest, radical rest in a society that worships constant activity. Most religions have a holy place. For Islam, it's Mecca. For Judaism, the Western Wall in Jerusalem. For Hinduism, the River Ganges, and the list goes on. But God doesn't have a holy place. He has a holy time. This Sabbath day, this day when he rests, right at the beginning of creation, this is a holy time. It's not just a time for a break, but it's a time to delight in the world with God and to worship him. And I think the closest we come to Sabbath here in the UK are bank holidays. You know, on a bank holiday, everything's closed. Like we, we take time off, spend time outside in the sun if it's one of the summer bank holidays. Um, we see family and friends. Everything stops. Everything kind of winds down. What if we could have a bank holiday every week? Wouldn't that be great? I would love that. And Sabbath isn't a law for us. You know, in, in Jerusalem uh, today, um, 
in the kind of Jewish society, Sabbath is a law. You cannot work. It's illegal to work on the Sabbath. And there's a huge, this huge marketplace in the center of Jerusalem. And as Friday sundown is coming, uh, these kind of enforcers come along with these giant kind of trumpets and, and blast this noise to be like, it's time to close, it's time to go. And everyone scurries away. They kind of force these stalls to close. For us as followers of Jesus, it's not a law for us, but we ignore the Sabbath at our peril. You know, it's not law to wear a helmet or reflective gear when you're cycling, but you're asking for trouble if you don't do it. And I would like to suggest the same with the Sabbath. So rest is Sabbath, but rest is cursed, just as work is. Again, it's not the curse, but it is cursed, not directly. But human experience is, is just shot through with this sense of incompleteness. You know, we get to the end of a, a big project, or like a promotion we've been working towards, or a renovation, or, or whatever it might be. And we, if, we're really, if we're really honest, at least I find this, I don't, I don't experience the, the complete rest and satisfaction that I crave. It's on to the next thing. It's, oh great, that's done, what's next? What's my next activity to do? But God clearly has this kind of restful satisfaction in creation. Genesis 2 verse one. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. The universe's original construction project is finished and God just takes a step back and delights in his work and rests, he stops. And this side of the fall, it's not possible, that's not possible for us in this life. Instead, as children of God, we look ahead to what's to come, to that ultimate Sabbath rest of heaven and the new creation that God is bringing at the end of the ages. And so as, we just, as we've looked at rest and work, and I want to think about rhythm as we just kind of come into to land, really. We're invited by God, I suggest, to live in a rhythm of work and rest. Both work and rest are good. Work is good. Rest, the Sabbath, is good. But that's the key point. They're both good. Not just one or the other. We need a rhythm of both. If we are to live the human life, to live in the image of God as, as he intended it. And equally, both work and rest are cursed. They're affected by the fall, by sin. And, and the rhythm of both, of work and rest, orients us beyond this fallen world towards life in heaven. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament says that God has set eternity in our hearts. That kind of niggling dissatisfaction that we feel in our work and our rest, it's actually a call from God to look to him and see what he has ahead of us in the new creation. And we each need a Sabbath rhythm which characterizes not just coming to church on a Sunday, but something that's, that's taking place every day. You know, taking quiet time each day to stop and to seek God in, in his word and in prayer. Making space every week to lay aside the activity and to rest, to refrain, to cease and to worship the Lord. And this will be easier for some of us 
Perhaps if, if you work Monday to Friday, and you come on a Sunday, that could be your Sabbath to worship God and just to be still. Uh, but that for those of us who do shift work or work on the weekends like me, uh, or are self-employed, some creativity is needed. It's not just going to happen by itself. And for me, I mean, I work on a Sunday. Sunday is not Sabbath for me. I need time elsewhere in the week to Sabbath, to cease and to spend time with the Lord. And beyond that, this is a long-term pattern, a rhythm as well, something that should characterize every month, every year, every season of life, longer-term patterns of rest. Perhaps take a retreat day, and we're blessed here in Leamington to have the well uh, Christian Healing Center, which offers quiet mornings and quiet days, both online and in their building. Let's take advantage of that. And equally, we need a work rhythm that engages with God's commission to humanity to fill and subdue, you know, to release the potential of the earth and its inhabitants. It's good to find out what God is calling us to in our work and to do it with all our heart. And this is not limited to our employment or our family life, although those are really key. And I want to just say, if you're, if you're not serving at church, perhaps you've come out of pandemic, lots has been going on, we've been readjusting, getting used to things, but if you're not serving at church and you've got time and energy, there are so many opportunities to get involved, uh, with, to work out God's calling as we uh, raise the next generation and engage, look, look outwards to our communities in mission. And if that's something you're kind of thinking and praying about, please do get in touch with us, please do go to the welcome desk and chat to us after the service. But as we draw this to a close, I want to finish with some words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers to take our, our lifestyle, our way of uh, working and resting, or perhaps only doing one of those two, take that upon himself, this lifestyle that is just wrapped with sin, and offer us his yoke, the yoke he's carrying, the one that makes it easy, the Sabbath and working rhythm. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us, to help us, as we seek to live this Sabbath lifestyle. I just want to finish by recommending two books. Uh, so I've got a slide with these books up. Uh, if this is something that you'd like to really engage in more, I, I would really highly recommend these two books, one of these two books, both written by a guy called uh, John Mark Comer uh, in the US. If you're particularly interested in the kind of theology, Garden City, is just an amazing, uh, but very, um, Coma writes very accessibly. It's very easy to read. Garden City, looking at work and rest and, and the art of being human. And he then followed that up with a bit more of a practical book. If, you want so, if you're sort of not so interested in the theology, although I find that hard to understand, um, go for The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is a much more practical uh, book by the same author. I, I highly recommend one or both of these.
Let's have a time uh, just to respond in prayer now uh, before we uh, worship our final song. And I'd like to invite you to stand. And let's just have, uh, just have a, a moment to, uh, to seek the Lord. And you might find it uh, helpful just to, perhaps to, to put your hands in front of you in a kind of posture of looking to receive from God. And Lord, we say we're sorry for uh, where we are living lives that just aren't in this rhythm that you have uh, made for us, that we're not living in the image of God, whether that be our Work, our kind of our employment, or some aspect of our, our activity, has become a kind of idol. Everything's just focused on that. We pray, Lord, would you draw our gaze back to you? We pray, would you just come and speak to us now about how we might step into uh, this rhythm of work and rest? Perhaps for some of you, it's a, it's a case of letting God speak to you about the goodness of work and the goodness of rest. Perhaps in your circumstance, that's not obvious or you don't feel that. Perhaps you're searching for what God's calling you to. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you send your Holy Spirit amongst us? Give us an inspiring vision of what it means to live with that easy yoke of Jesus. There will be prayer ministry available at the end of the service. I really invite you, if if the Lord is speaking to you, if he's doing work in you, uh, to come and receive prayer at the right-hand side at the front of church. We'd love to pray with you and to chat with you. We're going to worship now at our final song as we praise God, the King of Kings. And let's worship him, the Lord who creates and enables this rhythm of work and rest that looks ahead to heaven, life in the new creation.